Before we begin, we'd like to invite you to check out the Pop Culture Preservation Society on Patreon. Patreon is a platform that allows artists and creators to earn a recurring income by providing rewards and perks to its subscribers. When you support the PCPS on Patreon, your donation goes directly to our operational expenses and keeps us from going broke at work. And in exchange, our supporters get bonus videos of our recordings, custom retro images to download and print, invitations to Zoom events with your hosts, and more. Patreon is our only source of income, and we thank you for helping us do this job we love. To learn more, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and put Pop Culture Preservation Society into the search bar. Thanks so much, and please enjoy the show. Listen to this majestic cocktail of people. Okay, so... You could tune in one evening on the same show to see Magic Johnson, Donna Pescow, Jeff Conaway, a.k.a. Kanicki from Greece, Conrad Bain, and Christy <laughs> McNichol together on one show hosted by James Vincent McNichol. How oh, does it get oh. any better than that? <laughs> Hello world, is a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who wore their lip balm on a string around their neck and their perfume pinned to their collar. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we're saving a few of the weird, wacky, and wonderful variety shows that seemed like they were created in a drug-induced fever dream. Because they most likely were. (laughs) I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. shows were as much a part of 1970s television as reality shows were a part of the early 21st century television. The variety genre originated from burlesque, minstrel, and vaudeville traditions. Back in the early days of live television, you might see a juggler followed by a Shakespeare monologue, followed by an opera singer, followed by a clown spinning plates on roller skates, (laughs) right? In the 1950s and 60s, variety shows continue to thrive and evolve with shows like The Lawrence Welk Show, The Dinah Shore Show, and Your Hit Parade, to name a few. Do you guys remember watching Lawrence Welk, like, with your grandparents? With your grandma. For sure. Sure. Yeah. Yes. And Mm -hmm. we couldn't call my grandmother when Lawrence Welk was on. She didn't live in the same (laughs) place. And so we would call, like, long distance, and it would be all exciting. We're all on all the extensions. And she said, Lawrence Welk is on. You have to call me back. And she'd hang up. (laughs) You guys, That's it's so such important. a touchstone of that whole that whole era, right? And if there was ever a child <clears throat> singing with the grown-up ladies on Lawrence Well, oh she would get very excited because that could be me. You could do you could do that. <laughs> you could do that. You could do Kristen. that. Kristen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could dance. <laughs> well, comedy came into play with the Jack Benny show, the Carol Burnett show, and the Smothers Brothers. And we can't neglect to mention the staple of variety television for over 20 years, the Ed Sullivan Show, which introduced America to both Elvis and the Beatles. By the 1970s, everyone was so open to the format that nothing was off limits. Ice skating rink? Sure. (laughs) Fashion runway? Makes sense. Swimming pool? Why not? (laughs) 
The mid-70s also brought a slew of musical variety led by those at the top of the record charts like the Carpenters, the Jacksons, Tony Orlando and Don, Helen Reddy, Sonny and Cher, Captain and Tennille, and of course, Donnie and Marie. I think I speak for many of us who loved variety shows when I say that we didn't care who the host was, who the guests were that week, what the songs or silly skits were. We were simply all in. Mm-hmm. Oh, Absolutely. With, without a doubt. <laughs> that's the best. I think that's the best use of without a doubt yes, so far. I mean, Carolyn. Yes. The joy of the variety show for me is unsurpassed when it comes to my TV watching, okay? Because you guys know how much I love when my favorite celebrities interact. I oh, mean, yes. How, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you top Lee Majors and Farrah Fawcett joining Donnie and Marie for sketches and songs? I mean, Charlie's yeah. Angels, The Six Million Dollar Man, and those guys were married. So it even just put, took it to a whole nother <laughs> level. Your, it is your mind everything. is exploding. It is. It is yeah. everything. Yeah. It was the ultimate entertainment platform where this kind of magic and let's face it, craziness could actually happen, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, Absolutely. right. It's like uh, the most bizarre cocktail party you've yeah. ever right. been to. Oh, my god. And gosh. fabulous. And by bizarre, I mean fabulous. Right. You know, we had our regular weekly shows, and then we had variety specials. And I just wanted to share one with you that is near and dear to my heart. Listen to this majestic cocktail of people. Okay, so you could tune in one evening on the same show to see Magic Johnson, Donna Pescow, Jeff Conaway, a.k.a. Kanicki from Greece, Conrad Bain, and Christy McNichol together on one show hosted by James Vincent McNichol. How does it get any better than that? Yes, James Vincent McNichol had his own variety special. This really is your sweet spot, Carolyn. (laughs) It is. It is. I just love the mix of people. By the time we get to the 70s, they are like the epitome of the 70s. And you named all of those shows, Michelle. But I also want to share some of the actual names of those shows because they just are screaming 70s. I mm-hmm. did not know that Tony Orlando and Don was actually called the Tony Orlando and Don Rainbow Hour. And then there was oh. the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour. And then there was the Make Your Own Kind of Music Carpenters Hour and the Bobby Darren Amusement Company. I mean, that's just speaking my language. I'm watching oh, that show. Absolutely. Of course. Of course. Yes. Well, I've always been a sucker for a variety show and I still am. And sadly, they don't, they don't really exist anymore. And if they do, it's just mostly singing. They've gotten rid of all the silly skits, the outrageous over the top things. And I, I feel like I want to say I am the target audience, but I think we, the three of us Mm -hmm. sitting here and probably a lot of listeners out there, we were and are the target audience. I mean, I was and am still all in for a serious song, beautiful song, maybe a nice orchestra, followed by a silly skit with outrageously over-the-top costumes and maybe a fake mustache. I mean, mm-hmm, throw in mm-hmm, a fake mustache mm-hmm. and yeah. you've got oh, me. Because yeah. then they always get cockeyed, you know, and they're trying to <laughs> so be straight because it's That's like so hanging funny. by a thread. When and, Harvey yes. Corman starts to crack up a little bit yes. when his mustache yes. is cockeyed. And it falls off and it kind right. of falls, yeah. Um, well, at the same time, though, yes, we were the target audience, but at the same time, these shows were so entertaining for all of our generations, and this truly was family viewing, which is why one reason I think it doesn't work today. They were all coming out at a time when we generally had one TV in the house. 
just one. And so the shows that we watched, we watched together. And so even the edgier shows like Laughing or The Smothers Brothers, they were aimed at younger audience, but you were still watching it with your grandma. Uh This is why my Aunt Myrtle had all the Cher albums that I loved listening to. Because even though she was an old lady, she still loved Sonny and Cher. She watched Sonny and Cher. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. To your point, Kristen, I think this is why I know people. I wouldn't have encountered some of these celebrities if it weren't for these Mm -hmm. shows. Like Beverly Sills and Bernadette Peters. Yes. Steve Lawrence, George Goebel. Those people I would have never encountered. And my parents loved telling us about them. They'd be like, oh, Steve Lawrence, he's married to Edie Gourmet. And then I'd flip out because they didn't have the same name. (laughs) Yeah. It was, this was a place, again, this is Carolyn's wheelhouse, where it brought together the most relevant audience. artists of the day. This was how they sold their music to us because it was the only place we could see them perform besides a concert, but it was keeping relevant all of these people from the past. So you could, it was only a variety show where you could see the Jackson five on the same show as Ray Charles or Ella Fitzgerald. They were keeping them relevant. They were teaching Mm -hmm. us who they were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I loved them all, but my absolute favorite and weekly TV appointment from 1976 to 1979 was Donnie and Marie. I'm a little bit country, and I'm a little bit rock and roll. I'm a little bit of Memphis and Nashville, with a little bit of Motown in my soul. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I know I love it so. I'm a little bit country, and I'm a little bit rock and roll. And listeners, we have such a fun episode devoted to Donnie and Marie from last November, where we talk all about the things we loved, like the ice skating. Of course, you have to talk about the ice skatings, their costumes, those silly skits. I mean, you talk about a fake mustache and what, a yarn wig. I mean, their costumes were insane. Um, And of course, we talk about a little bit country and rock and roll. And if you haven't listened to that one, and you too love Donnie and Marie, It's episode 92, and it's a really great celebration of our love for that very iconic variety show. Really, that was a hallmark variety show of the Mm -hmm. 70s. Mm -hmm. And it was really one of the last ones. Mm -hmm. It was it. It closed out the 70s. Oh, yeah. So today, we're celebrating three variety shows besides Donnie and Marie that we loved and made an impact on us in one way or another. And as usual, we may have bitten off more than we can (laughs) chew here at the PCPS because all three of these shows deserve their own episode. And listeners, we promise each of these shows will get it. Um, So Carolyn, let's start with you. Yes. The iconic standard bearer for variety shows, and this would be The Carol Burnett Show. From Television City in Hollywood, it's The Carol Burnett Show. I feel like we should applaud. I, know, I do right? too. Like right. stand it, maybe stand. Mm-hmm. Everybody right. raise up. We There's stand just up. no way yeah. that we could um, cover everything we need to cover. So I promise, personally, yeah. even if it's just me getting on here, <laughs> you will hear all the fun stuff about the Carol Burnett Show because there is a lot of fun stuff. Let me start by saying the family memories I have surrounding this show are some of my most cherished. This show was a Saturday night tradition for us. My dad would have grilled steaks outside on the mm-hmm. grill. Yeah, because. Because they were grilled. (laughs) (laughs) My dad would. I just got that. Yes. It's a little redundant, but you know. Yes, we would have grilled steak and baked potatoes and, of course, a iceberg salad with my favorite salad dressing, ketchup and mayonnaise mixed together. (laughs) Wait, really? What screams? Yeah, it was like Thousand Island. Yeah, I guess so. If you threw in a little pickle relish, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thousand Island. 
And I don't huh. think I don't, I didn't like pickle relish. So I think my mom kept that out for me. It's so, from yeah. scratch. Oh, for sure. It's mm-hmm. homemade. Yeah. It, and that was a real grown up meal, you guys. My parents, yeah. and maybe I shouldn't say this, but they'd even put a little beer in an orange juice glass <laughs> for me. I oh, know. Because it's Saturday. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I felt all, you know, all grown up, but we would be sure and finish that meal just in time to gather around the television to watch yeah. Carol Burnett. Okay. You guys, she was a constant throughout my childhood. We're talking 1967 through 1978. Wow. The Carol Burnett show. 11 Gosh. seasons. Incredible. Uh-huh. So let me tell you a little bit about the show. Let me kind of see if I can jog some memories for you guys, because one thing for sure is we could count on Carol and her friends to make us laugh. Mm-hmm. So like I said, September 11th, 1967, we get our pilot episode. Now, I do want to give you a little background information because Carol Burnett was signed to a contract with CBS. And as that contract was kind of coming up on its five-year anniversary, I guess, there was a clause in it that basically said Carol could opt to continue and do sitcoms for the network or she could exercise her right to a variety show. And she wanted to do the variety show. Wow, that's a but good decision. You know what? Uh-huh. Those DICKSs oh, no. at CBS were like, no, you're too much. That's a masculine genre. You, no, you're, you, you really mm-hmm. should not pursue this. Wow. You better think twice. But because of her contract written mm-hmm. in stone and because of her strong will and just who Carol Burnett is, you guys, she said, no, I'm doing the variety show. I mean, mic drop, you go, right, Carol, yeah. right? And she couldn't have been that old. She must have been like in her 20s, right? She's, I well, I, I would I, uh, <laughs> highly recommend listening to her interview with Julia Louis-Dreyfus on Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's podcast because she will give her perspective as to this whole process of um, kind of the origin of the show. Okay, yeah. And listening to her now at 90. Yeah. Talk about it is just gosh, she's just. Yeah, just I mean, think there's of the there's, change. She, 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 yeah, just icon all capital letters. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, she's really seen it all from being that kind of trailblazer, saying, you know, give me my own show. It's in my contract. I'm going to do it, no matter what other people said. You're going to fail at it, whatever. And I just love that she can say in your face. Yeah, you mm. know, the. And that was such a wise decision. Can you imagine her in a sitcom, which? may or may not have gotten picked up. She could have gone through a string of sitcoms and instead she makes her mark on a variety show that is her legacy for the rest of her life. Yes, legacy. It is a cultural touchstone for us. I mean, this is something that all of us that grew up in the 70s can uh, relate to. We have those family memories of. It's a Hall of Fame television show, Mm -hmm. regardless of if that's actually a thing or not. All those characters we attached ourselves to. So, as I said before to you guys, the first episode aired on September 11th, 1967. And personally, I think the future success of this show can be traced to its very first guest. And any ideas who that might have been, I think I might know. I have a guess. I have a guess. Is it Julie Andrews? No, but that's a very good guess. Okay. It's a good guess because they're such great friends. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And they have the same haircut. I'll give you a <laughs> they did. They performed a lot together, actually, mm-hmm. on other variety shows and stuff. Sorry, that was my mic. This person is near and dear to my heart. Does that give you Jim a Jim Vincent McNichol. <laughs> no, James Vincent McNichol was – well, he wasn't probably a small child, but yes – Jim Neighbors. It is Jim Oh, Jim Neighbors. Yes. <laughs> I was right. I believe his star power is what got folks oh to God. tune in. Oh, my God. And you know what? 
Carol thought that too. And she called him her annual good luck charm. And he went on to guest in every premiere episode for all of the show's what? forthcoming seasons. What? I Yes. Also, it shows you just like how um, devoted she is or how dedicated, you know, to her friends and to Mm -hmm. relationships that she had built. While the show was titled The Carol Burnett Show, it would not have been what it was without that amazing cast. Oh, my God. Am I right, you guys? I mean, let's just. Oh, my gosh. The definition of of ensemble. Right. And they were with her the whole time. So, in addition to Carol, the cast consisted of Vicki Lawrence, okay? Vicki Lawrence got that role after she just wrote a fan letter to Carol Burnett. <gasps> what? Okay, she didn't audition for it. What? And Carol wrote her back, and I th- and I think, now don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that Vicki Lawrence said that people would often say that she resembled Carol yes, Burnett. Yes, mm-hmm. they did. So, sure. And that's kind of also how she got that part. And so, she was with Carol the entire, well... For the entire time, I think that we and know the show. She's quite a bit younger, isn't she? Like she maybe like a decade is. or so younger, isn't yes. she? Yes, yes. So I think younger sister was kind of the idea. Oh, I have a friend sister. who learned like yesterday that Vicki Lawrence was not Carol Burnett's sister. And she was insisting, oh. is this their sisters? I'm like, no, they're not sisters. Yes, they are. I'm like, ask the Google. They're Probably not sisters. Probably her mother told her that because I remember my mother was very upset because – a couple things. One, she didn't think Vicki Lawrence looked anything like Carol Burnett. There was just this one photo where she thought they <laughs> resembled each other and they made like the same grimace. And I'm going to go ahead and say it, everybody. But everyone would tell my mom that she looked like Carol Burnett. And she did. And now people tell me I, I remind them of Carol Burnett. I'm Do not laughing really? at you. I'm not laughing <laughs> at you. I'm laughing because it's so true. It's so yeah. true, especially it when you make of... certain expressions because you're very animated and expressive, as is Carol Burnett. And if Carolyn ever brings her hand to her ear, it will take your breath away. <laughs> I think that's a tremendous compliment. I do too. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, maybe. <laughs> but as I was doing my research on this, um, I was also, I found out the fact that Carol Burnett went into show business not with her mother's blessing. Her mother really wanted oh. her to be a writer because her mother said, your looks don't matter when <gasps> you're a writer. Ouch. <laughs> Mama yeah. Burnett. Ouch on double... Whammy for me. That's so sad, Carol Burnett. And golly, jeepers, people tell me I look like Carol oh. Burnett. So yeah, except for that was her mother telling her that. And that's yeah. a mean mother because mm-hmm. like, well, I know. I don't look at beauty like that. Like I look at Carol Burnett. I think she's stunning. And every, because it's so much, it's everything with well, her. And because we love her. Yes. Right? Yes. So we love her. And so we think she's beautiful. And her, she has so much beauty within. Mm-hmm. If you're just looking at physical traits, <laughs> no, just like it's your personality, Carol. your personality. Yes. No. Yeah, right? right. It, no, but if yes, you, you can overlook my traits. buck teeth and my hair <laughs> oh coming my out of my nose and my bald spot and all talking. that because of my personality, <laughs> my beauty. You guys, within. the whole time right now we're having this conversation, Carolyn's like fixing her hair. Yes. Yes. <laughs> she's like, okay. Uh, okay. Yes, so we we shall move on from Vicki Lawrence. Then we had Harvey Corman. He was seasons one through ten, so he was not in the last season. Lyle Wagner was seasons one through seven. Ladies and gentlemen, Lyle Wagner was the very first centerfold for Playgirl magazine. What? Fun what? little he fact is kind for of you. hot, isn't he? You know what, though? But I didn't get it as a kid because he was always supposed to be the handsome debonair like love interest and as a child i was like i don't understand because he didn't look like sean cassidy right he looked like i understood i understood when i was younger well 
I felt something when he was on, you know, I was younger. It's the, same, got a way, it's the same way I felt about Chad Everett. Um, oh, from Medical, Medical Center. Center. Yes. <laughs> it's like you knew that yeah. they were the good looking ones. Now, I'm yeah. sure, you know, Lyle Wagner, no, no um, shade here for Harvey and Tim. But, you know, when you compare those those cast members to Lyle. He really was the debonair. Yes. He was the handsome one. We can use the word handsome and you'd use other words to describe Harvey Corman and Tim Conner. Right. They had beauty Mm -hmm. within. (laughs) Right. I was about to say, yes, it was the beauty within them that shone through. Um, So yes, we also have Tim Conway. He was a frequent guest in seasons one through eight, but did not become a regular cast member until seasons nine through 11. I, I didn't know that he was. On, I did what? not either. That but has I to think, just be semantics, right? Because wow. he was I he was either. in so many of the skits. Yes. Well, I guess, and we'd have to look at some of the dates on those All the time. skits as well. True. Mm-hmm. True. Um, but here's what blew me away too. So Harvey Corman, as I said, he was only in seasons one through ten. The show went on to for eleven seasons. So they brought someone in to replace Harvey Corman, and this individual only did a few episodes because he flopped miserably as well as the as another cast member. And I couldn't believe this, but it was Dick Van Dyke. <gasps> what? I, yeah, I'm thinking that's too much star power. Like, how oh, do you do Carol Burnett and what? Dick Van Dyke? Uh, yes, he's Dick Van Dyke. Right. He's an actual person. Like He's actually Rob Petrie. So I can't right. even believe he did Diagnosis Murder. Rob Petrie was in Diagnosis <laughs> he, Murder. But Dick Van Dyke could go on Carol Burnett for one episode and be right. in all those skits. But I can see then the regular people are going to be going, no, no, no. You can't right. be a regular, but you just need to come on one episode and be in yeah. every skit in that episode. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. Saturday Night Live. He needed to yeah. be the guest host. Right. Right. Not, yeah, not on the cast. Mm-hmm. It's confusing. So, interesting um, little fun fact there. All right. Well, as we are well aware, that amazing cast brought us some of the most memorable moments on television. Many of those sketches live on in, well, at least in my mind, I'm assuming in your minds as well. Would that be a correct assumption? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you have any favorites? Do you remember any mm-hmm. specifically? Oh well, I don't remember mm-hmm. a specific one, but my favorite was always when that went on to be Mama's Family, but mm-hmm. when it was Vicki Lawrence playing Mama. And I just thought that was so funny with the big butt and the <laughs> wig and the big boobs and those skits. Those are the ones that I looked forward yeah. to the most. Yeah, those were great. And Carol talks about the fact that those were all character driven. Like if you read one time during a rehearsal, they just read the um, the script with no Southern accents, with no, they just kind of read it. It's a very serious, just kind of blah. It is those characters that they bring to life mm-hmm. that just elevate that and make us laugh so hard. And yes, the, her butt sticking out. Oh, the and butt. And, so yeah, funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The butt. It's all about the butt. Um, my number one favorite, which we just talked about in our um, Walton's episode, is when they did the walnuts with Daddy Man and Mama Woman and Grandma Lady. That's my number one favorite. But the recurring characters that my brother and I would just, like, we'd, we'd be gasping for air. We would be laughing so hard would be Mr. Tudball and Mrs. O'Higgins. <gasps> oh, gosh. Yes. 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 And, um, or the old man. Remember the old man? Yes. When Tim Conway is the old man and he does this little shuffle oh, step. Oh, yeah. So the shuffle. The grandfather clock would ding and then it would stop him. I don't even know why That's that was funny. That's our childhood. That's but our was childhood so right there. He oh, just yes. shuffle. It, right? it would take him yes. like five minutes to get to the door. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
do you remember, I, I watched this last night and then it all came back to me, but the dentist skit. Oh, yes. So Harvey Corman is um, the patient and it's a Sunday and he needs to get a tooth extracted and um, his <laughs> regular dentist worry. isn't available, but his son-in-law is who just graduated from dental school and that's Tim Conway. And <laughs> it just proceeds to be this hysterical um, sketch where basically, obviously, Tim's not knowing what he's doing and he's like having to get the textbook out and then he's doing the Novocaine, but he accidentally stabs himself in the hand. And so then his hand goes numb and then he does it in his leg. And And this is one of those where Harvey cannot keep a straight face. It is just classic. Oh, it is so so, classic. That's half the fun too, is watching Harvey Corman try to keep a straight face. And by golly, Tim Conway can keep a straight face through this whole thing. And Uh he's just, he's walking around like with his hand, dragging his leg, flopping his hand around, trying to like turn the page in the, Mm -hmm. in the dental textbook. It's, it's hysterical and a classic. If you want to go back and watch that. And all of those sketches, they hold up. Like they're funny today. That's one of the things that um, you were just talking about the Carol Burnett show made me realize is that I I loved it so much. And I bet one of the reasons I did is because I felt so grown up watching it because here's all yeah. these, just an adult yeah. cast, an adult adult. Like I said, I love Donnie and Marie, but they're still, they're younger, right? They're they were the, kids. They're late teenagers. Right. right. But here's this all adult cast making me at probably age seven laugh until I peed my pants. And so I felt like in my mind, I thought it was adult humor that I was getting. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When really they're playing to everybody. You're but in, in on the my joke. mind, I was in on the joke. And that yeah. didn't often happen right. with a I lot mean, of shows part that were of full the of magic adults. of that show that we yeah. would, again, all sit down and watch it as a family and get something on all these different levels. They had the ability to do that in a super unique way. Um, I wanted to ask you if you remember a skit which actually TV Guide calls the second funniest TV moment of all time. Second most second, second funniest funniest. TV moment. I need to know this. Well, my, the first one that comes to mind, but I think it's not going to be right because it's oh, too obvious, is the Scarlett O'Hara one. I was going to say Scarlett, yeah. It is actually the Scarlett oh, it is? O'Hara oh, okay. one. Yes, when she comes down with the curtain. When she comes down One of the stairs. funniest things <laughs> in history. Right? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Here's some fun facts about that actual sketch. For our listeners, a little refresher here. We have in this sketch, Carol Burnett is Starlet O'Hara, <laughs> um, a parody of Scarlett O'Hara, the t- title of this sketch is called Went with the Wind. <laughs> oh, hold on. I have a special guest that's just entered the room. I just wanted to introduce oh, him for oh, you fantastic. all. So if you could meet this person. Good uh, afternoon, uh, Mr. Uh, Ted Duvall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Riggins, could you come in here, please? <laughs> that's so good. Mrs. Riggins. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him we think that's so good. Now he's not going to get out of here. Wow. <laughs> right. Now he's going to keep saying it. That's, that's all you have to do. Thank you, that Mr. That was Tudful. so good. This is bringing me such joy, these memories. Can you find all this on YouTube? Is yeah. Is that where you found it? Yeah. That's going to be our TV viewing one night soon. Yes, It's just absolutely. going through and remembering mm-hmm. sketches. and We will put links to some of these sketches that we're talking about in our weekly reader. We love to do that, you guys. And if you're not already a subscriber, you can do that at our link in bio on Instagram or on our website. And it's um, 
will direct you to all these funny videos and uh, sketches that you kind of have to see. We can't really mm-hmm. um, act them out. And- I just think it's that would be a great, a great use of our time. Instead yes. of scrolling TikTok and oh, watching people seriously. organize their fridges yes. right. and put mm-hmm. new string cheese in a little clear bin, <laughs> right. let's all go and spend our time watching these old Carol it Burnett is joy or guaranteed. other variety show clips. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Dopamine levels are going to go through the roof when mm-hmm. you watch these. And you're actually like experiencing something historical. Right? Like right. this is a piece of art that was created in the 70s that is still mm-hmm. funny today. That is – that's legendary. That's impactful. Well, that's a good use of your time. That is a very good use of your time. And I will tell you it is so legendary and iconic that um, the Smithsonian has, one, the costume that Starlet O'Hara wore in the sketch. Now, listeners, if you don't remember <laughs> – uh, Scarlett O'Hara in the movie, you know, she's down and out and Rhett is going to be coming by and she doesn't have anything to wear. And she looks up at the window and sees these beautiful brocade, you know, curtains, takes them down and makes an outfit out of them, mm-hmm. a dress. Well, Starlet did something similar, but took it to the, a step further and included the curtain rod in her <laughs> costume. So Carol descends the stairs as Starlet with this brass <laughs> uh, curtain rod coming out from her shoulders and the drapes that she had previously like she belted seen. the drapes. Like just put yeah, the she belt, belted put the, the drapes. drapes yeah, 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 yeah. The balance. <laughs> she took the balance of the curtains and made a little like hat. <laughs> and she comes down the stairs. Harvey is Captain Rat Butler, um, a parody of Rat, and he comments on how gorgeous this dress is. And she said, "I just saw it in the window, and I had to have it." What brings you to Tara? <laughs> You, you fixin' you. Starlet, I love you. That, that, that gown is gorgeous. Thank you. I saw it in the window and I just couldn't resist it. <laughs> just love that. So, yes, this dress is um, in, in a collection at the Smithsonian Institute. And in 2009, Mattel released a Starlet doll under the Barbie Celebrity no Doll way. Collection. Oh, yes. you're kidding. No, not Scarlet. Starlet. Starlet. With the with the with curtain the rod. rod. With the curtain rod. Oh, we that's need to amazing. look that up. That's that's great. Because these hysterical. are the heroes that we should be um, providing for our children. <laughs> right. There's no doubt, you guys, that this show made me laugh consistently every Saturday night. But you guys, there were two times watching this show that I would get a lump in my throat. That mm-hmm. melancholy kind of feeling, kind of like we talked about in Sad Songs of the 70s. Mm-hmm. One, whenever Carol played the charwoman. Now, I didn't quite know what a charwoman was. Do you remember when she oh. played the character with the mop and the bucket? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she would come out. Okay, so a charwoman is actually an old-fashioned um, occupational term that refers to a part-time worker who comes in to a house often at, or an office after everyone is gone, unlike a maid who would maybe be full-time and live with a family. So it kind of dates it for you. So Carol never spoke in any of these sketches. But the theme is she's imagining her life not as a charwoman, but kind of fantasizing other things she could do. So she maybe would dance or do these mm-hmm, other mm-hmm. Um, actions that you knew were kind of taking her out of this role as a cleaning person. It was always dark. And there was just this kind of sad feeling mm-hmm. like you kind of knew yep. that she was kind of unhappy and you wanted her to get a to be able to live some of these dreams. Mm -hmm. It was quite poignant. Yes, it Mm -hmm. really was. Um, As did the very 
last song that Carol sang every episode. Yes. So melancholy. Her husband, Joe Hamilton, actually wrote the song. And really, it's the music that gets to me, right? Because if it had more of an upbeat tempo, like, I'm so glad we have this time together, just to have a laugh or sing a song. (laughs) Right? No, you're you're right about that. It's yeah. just the it's the melody of that that is so it that is, gets that it's lump kind in of your haunting. Yeah. And um, listening again as I was preparing for today's episode, it just gets you right in that same spot that those seventies because it's songs like she's kind of, she's a little sad when she when yes. the show is over. That's yes. what it felt like. That you know, I'm sorry we have to bring this to a close. I'm so glad we had this time together. Just to have a laugh or sing a song. Okay, so our next selection was responsible for inspiring a generation of little girls to wrap a towel around their head (laughs) so they could dramatically swish their hair Mm -hmm. behind their shoulders, right? A la Cher. Sonny and Cher was my jam, you guys. They were my people. I wanted to be Chaz and run out on stage to be with my sexy, sultry mommy and just hang out with them. I got Husker dude so many times watching these clips last night, and now I'm realizing that I really modeled myself, a lot of myself, my five-year-old self, after Cher. I really thought, oh, it's the Brady Bunch. Didn't we all want to be Jan Brady or Marsha Brady? But after watching all these clips, I'm like, oh, no, I wanted to be Cher. Like, if I'm going to go to a party, I want to show up in a Bob Mackie jumpsuit with a cutout for my belly button. That's what I want to wear. And and this is what I realized. So this is just, well, actually, this is just one of the many things I realized. When I wanted to look cool, I would go like this. Okay, so you stand, I'm standing like She's standing up. Yeah. And you got to break your wrist. So you hold your arm out and then you break your wrist. Okay. It's kind of like Tim Conway's hand in in the dentist. (laughs) With Novocaine. And that's how, like, you're just standing, you're trying to be cool. You just drop your wrist. It's sort of like you just, she had, I can't even describe what I'm doing. We'll have to send a picture to people. But I would literally, as a five-year-old child, like, I'm feeling uncomfortable and I'm not cool, so I'm going to do my cool thing mm-hmm. right now. It's like you're a Barbie wrist. and just you flip yeah. the wrist down, everyone. Yes, that's right? what it is. You just flip yeah, broken the wrist, wrist. down. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize till I was watching last night, I'm like, oh, my God. I remember watching her do that and go, oh, that's how you're cool. I get it. So the timeline of the Sonny and Cher show is confusing, actually, because it came and went in different iterations from 1971 until 1977, but I will explain. So the show you think of as Sonny and Cher was actually known as the Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour, and it ran from 1971 to 1974. Some of you are going, no, no, that's not true, because I remember Sonny and Cher much later than that. Well, you did. You did watch it, but just hold on. I'll get to that, and you'll find out why. So by the late 60s, Sonny and Cher, their hits had dried up, and they retooled themselves into a lounge act to pay the bills, a traveling lounge act, kind of like vaudeville with witty banter, trading insults back and forth. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Fred Silverman of CBS caught their act in Las Vegas and thought that would be a perfect replacement for the Smothers Brothers because they needed someone who could attract a hip and edgy audience. So they needed a hip edgy act with a little snark and he offered them the show so they premiered in 1971 and each show started with Sonny and Cher running out on the stage that was filled with these globe lights that had a drawing of their faces on Mm -hmm. it that was like their Mm -hmm. logo the faces of Sonny and Cher on these globe lights 
And they would open the show by singing a cover of a popular song, which was kind of the the custom of the day. And then that would bleed into an instrumental of their 1967 hit, The Beat Goes On. So The Beat Goes On is really the theme song of their show, not I Got You Babe, which is what we all think of, right? So Cher would be wearing the latest Bob Mackie creation, probably with her belly button showing in the cutout. So many cutouts. And Bob Mackie designed legendary dresses and a lot of jumpsuits, actually, with cutouts for Cher. Um, But only Cher, because Bob Mackie was committed to the Carol Burnett show at the same time. And... um, the belly button actually was not supposed to be shown on TV. If you recall, I Dream of Jeannie, her belly button was always covered by a scarf because the censors said not allowed. But Bob Mackie and Cher was like, this is a good looking belly button. We're showing it anyway. So lots and lots of cutouts. Then they would launch into the monologue, which was generally a takedown of each other's looks and talent, <laughs> mostly in the direction of Cher to Sonny. She was yeah. the statuesque, glamorous sex bomb, and he was the undertall everyman. And they used this to their to their benefit, really. They leaned into their differences and made fun of them, which presented a whole new way for people to be married on TV, a funnier way, a more cynical way. This was no Donna Reed show, and the audience loved it. The good is, last night I had a dream. Yeah. I had a really a fantastic dream last night. Yeah. I did. I had a fantastic dream last night. I did too, but when I woke up, you were still there. And they had... Big guests, musical and otherwise, including, Carolyn, you're going to love this, Jim Neighbors and Lassie in the same oh, show. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what? And this was Chaz's favorite. There was one um, ending of the episode where they're like, Chaz, will you? Well, they didn't say Chaz. They said Chastity. Will you say say goodnight to our guests? And she goes, goodnight, Lassie. And they're like, no, no, honey, that was last week. <laughs> but, but they just really loved Lassie. It was so funny. Um, okay, where I lost my place. I also no, no, just no. love how on a variety show, Lassie is a guest. Lassie like that's a guest. so 70s. In a sketch. To just bring the dog. Yes. There's a show that stars a dog. And so that's the one we're going to bring on the yes. variety show. Not like any of the human stars no. of that show. And likely Jim Neighbors sang a song with Lassie. There were tons of recurring characters that were super popular, including uh, like Cher's Laverne, the gum-chewing housewife with the cat eye glasses. Oh, people loved it. And in between the musical um, performances and the comedy sketches, they played these electric company style animated segments in between featuring popular songs that were very grown up and very pop and very provocative. We didn't have a name for those things yet, but later we would come to call these things music videos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? They yeah. did cartoon features of Big Yellow Taxi. They did Cher's Hits, Half Breed, tons of others. So my favorite part of the show was when they brought Chaz on stage to be with them, maybe to say goodbye to the audience or they would just hold her while they sang. Yes. And Chaz that. was assigned female at birth and we were the same age. And I thought we kind of looked alike. And Sonny and Cher were really the only people to bring their actual child, not an actor, but an their actual child mm-hmm. out on stage in such a spontaneous way like this. It was a very cutting edge show, but this made it feel very folksy and family friendly and people Mm -hmm. loved it. And Chaz actually in um, subsequent seasons got to be a part of the opening sequence, I guess, where Mm -hmm. they play the credits and things like that. And then let's not forget the iconic ending. Each week they said goodbye to us all with a sing-along of their 1965 hit, I Got You Babe. I got you babe. I got 
It was fresh and innovative. They were more than willing to push the envelope, but it also didn't scare grandma. And it was buzzworthy and it got people talking. It was a far cry from My Three Sons, which was the time slot they were given after Chip and Robbie and Ernie Douglas were booted. Um, Plus, it was a vehicle for Cher's music, for promoting her music Uh quite successfully. She had three number one hits during her time on TV. Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves, Half Breed, and Dark Lady all went to number one with the help of her performances on her own show. So the show is a huge success, but oops, not so much their marriage. And their show, their very livelihood, was all tied up in the idea of Sonny and Cher as a couple. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have the freedom to split up. So instead, they stayed married, they found new partners, and they all lived together in one big mansion. Which oh, you, I don't think I oh, knew yeah. that. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, so you must not have watched the 1999 made-for-TV movie called oh. And the Beat Goes On, the Sonny and Cher story. Uh, no, no, but that sounds fabulous. Yeah, adding that to the list. Oh, yeah. Is this uh, Greg was, Allman? Is this when she marries Greg Allman? Oh, no. He, uh, Greg Allman comes later. Oh, Actually, okay. do you know who this was? No. Act, okay. Jim well, Neighbors. Jim Neighbors. Jim Neighbors. <laughs> But living together with their new partners in their one big mansion was not a good solution either. And by 1973, the tabloids were ripe with stories about public feuds, canceled gigs. There were even some reports of Cher showing at places with a black eye. Ouch. Oh, no. I know. I know. But still, every week, they showed up on our TV screens as a married couple it was very confusing for people. Yeah. And you lose trust in them. I think that yes. trust you had built in this family, this cute family, I think then you start to be skeptical. The irony is that their show was still riding high. It was still at the top of the charts, the charts, despite all of that. <laughs> the top of the charts. <laughs> I did. I said shirt. Excuse me. <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. The show was still flying high in the ratings, despite all of this news. But even so, Sonny filed for divorce. And 58 hours later, on February 22nd, 1974, even though the show was a giant hit, the final episode of the show was taped. They just couldn't sustain Mm -hmm. the facade anymore. And their time slot was given to Tony Orlando and Don. And someone, someone compared this to putting your beloved pet to sleep. Like, nobody wanted them to go. Mm. Nobody wanted to take them off the air. Nobody wanted the fun to stop, but the lie was eating everyone alive. Mm-hmm. This Everybody was, was going through that divorce then, and in so oh, many different 100%. ways, right? It was tragic for me. It was tragic. I'm six years old. The cancellation of Sunny and Cher, this is how I learned about divorce. I was sad and disappointed, and I wanted to know why the show was going off the air. It's the only time, really, I've ever had feelings about a show being canceled, unlike Carolyn when she saved the Waltons (laughs) single-handedly. But because they were so popular, the networks didn't want to let them go entirely. So they're like, all right, you get a show, you get a show, everybody gets a show. They both got their own show on competing networks, and they put them in the same time slot. Oh, they put sunny, the sunny comedy review, and they put share in the same time slot. So Sunny featured a different female guest on the show each time to rib Sunny about how short and untalented he was. But that person wasn't share, so nobody gave a shit. Right? Nobody's right, showing yeah. up, and he gets canceled immediately. Immediately, poor Sunny. Cher, it's kind of agreed that Cher was the superstar, and she was dating at the time David Geffen. So she could get, he had access to all the stars, every star. She could get 
the biggest stars on her show. And in fact, she opened her very first episode with Elton John and Bette Midler and Flip Wilson. Wow. She just knocked it out of the park. But Cher has said it was very difficult for her to carry that show. It was overwhelming for her. And she um, at one point quoted like thinking about walking out on that stage for the first time by herself was quite terrifying. And she was like, what do you think, world? Do you forgive me? Like she was worried that everyone would be mad at her for divorcing Sunny. Mm. And because of that overwhelm and being terrified, even though her, her show was a huge success, when it was brought up to her that maybe she and Sunny should reunite for a new show, she said yes. When Sunny and Cher came back together, suddenly their insult-oriented shtick just came off cringy and awkward because now everybody knew they were a divorced couple. It did not come off the same. And by the spring of 1977, it was over, and they went their separate ways for real. Mm-hmm. And the beat goes on. The beat goes on. Well, I had the honor of researching possibly the best of the worst. <laughs> <laughs> the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. So bad it's Which good. ran on ABC from November 1976 to May 1977. Did I watch it? I don't know. But how did I not? Because I loved anything Brady Bunch. I think most likely because my TV time was taken up with Donnie and Marie during those six months. And ironically, the Brady Bunch Variety Hour came to be because of Donnie and Marie. At the beginning of Donnie and Marie's second season, some of the cast of the Brady Bunch reunited on their show, and it was ratings gold. So this started the ball rolling by all of these ABC execs, including Fred Silverman and Michael Eisner, who we have learned had their finger on basically everything Mm -hmm. during that time, um, who eventually asked the Croft brothers, the producers of Donnie and Marie, if you remember, to create a Brady Bunch variety show. Fun fact, H.R. Puffin stuff was shot on stage five at Paramount at the same time Brady Bunch was shot on stage four. So the Brady kids often went and like hung out with Puff and stuff. And the kids and their parents all became really friendly with Sid and Marty Croft. Can you just picture that though? Is that also like one of the most 70th things ever? Well, the Brady and kids and HR Puff and stuff. Is just HR like Puff and stuff the like a real... Like, what is it? Is it, is there a person like a in giant, there? Is like it, a giant hamburger. It's a hamburger head. Thing. But yeah. do this, so does that mean, are they going to visit the hamburger head and the, and the hamburger yes. head would talk to them? Like I think that? so. I think they like would, they would oh, go God. over and like oh Puffin Stuff's in costume. Oh, funny. Um, Who's the poor guy yeah. who played Puffin Stuff? We, I'm going to do a deep dive on that. He deserves some credit. Yes, doesn't he though? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So back to the Brady Bunch Hour, there was big controversy between Sherwood Schwartz, the creator of the Brady Bunch, and the creators of the Brady Bunch Hour, namely the Crofts. Sherwood Schwartz never gave permission for the Brady Bunch property, which he and Paramount both co-owned, to be used and sold. Sid and Marty Croft basically fibbed their way to gaining the rights. Oh, my God. Sherwood Schwartz didn't even know about the Brady Bunch Hour until he saw it announced in TV Guide. How you believe that? that? They didn't say mm-hmm. anything. Like, weren't, well, I, I'm listen, obviously I'm it, speechless. Listen, it is a super interesting story that we don't have time to get into today. But like I said, we will definitely do an entire episode devoted to the Brady Bunch Hour in the future. So we'll share it then. Oh, the drama. Bottom line, today, 
today, we don't care how it got made, but that it did get made mm-hmm. because we got nine glorious, outrageously cringy, and fantastically awkward episodes to endure the test of time and live on forever. And they do. They live on forever. Uh, Okay, so how to get the bunch back together. Marty Croft insists he should be in the Guinness Book of World Records for accomplishing this task. (laughs) Shockingly, it was Robert Reed who was on board first and the most excited, which goes against basically everything we know about how this man felt about the Brady Bunch. He wasn't even in the final episode, remember? Yes. Oh my God, mm-hmm. why on earth would he feel mm-hmm. strongly about well, what he would consider shtick? I'll tell you. Oh, I'll tell you, do. Kristen. Okay, tell me. I guess he he says he wanted to branch out as an actor. And this <laughs> this was the vehicle, Robert. <laughs> he wanted to branch out as an actor and try singing and dancing and oh apparently dress up in feathery costumes and sequins, oh which no. is actually how he might have scratched that itch. We don't know, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this was how he wanted to become a serious actor. So the man, yeah, he's got some things backward. Anyway, he's quoted as saying, he thought, what fun, this will be a hoot. (laughs) He didn't think anything else was a hoot. Like he did, hoots were not his thing. Yeah. He He criticized and double checked and fact checked every single script and and argued. Remember? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Listeners, we have two episodes, right? We have a double episode Mm -hmm. on the Brady Bunch from a couple of years ago and full of just the best facts that we learned. And so please scroll back. And And also the Brady Bunch in Hawaii episode. We do. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a great one too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there are so many fun facts about how the rest of the bunch reacted and how they eventually got on board, especially Christopher Knight's reason for hesitation. You guys will love this one day because for today's episode again, we can't get into that, but we're going to focus on casting um, Jan oh, oh, and fake what? Jan. <laughs> You're not going to tell us? No, I can't. Oh, not today. God. Okay. It's too long of a story, okay. but it's good. I'm going to, I got to save some things for okay. the Brady okay. Bunch Variety Hour episode. Mm-hmm. So contrary to what you all might think you know, Eve Plum initially agreed to do the variety show. She loved the Crofts. She had done a guest spot on Sigmund and the Sea Monster. Do you <laughs> remember that? I How know. I not know this? Well, That's she did. That's my favorite cartoon. Well, look back. It's not a cartoon. You're right. It's not. Yeah. But it was on Saturday morning. Isn't that what cartoon My favorite live action show. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And she was apparently really active in music. Fun fact. In 1975, she had plans to form a singing group with Susan Olsen and Mike Lookinland called the Brady Three. Okay. Record scratch sound insert. Because Mike Lookinland, had she never heard him sing? Right. (laughs) Listeners, go back again. Well, go back again. (laughs) Last year, we did an episode on Bizarre Christmas Albums. And if you go back and listen to that, you can hear all of our opinions on Little Bobby's voice. Oh, my God. Right? Yes. Okay, so so anyway, Eve's inclusion in the show, The Variety Hour, fell apart when her dad had a problem with the contract. Sid Croft says she didn't want to disgrace herself because she couldn't sing, which, I don't know, calls the Brady Three into question again. Yeah, I'm very confused now, you plum. (laughs) That was going to be a really powerful trio, wasn't it? But Marty Croft says it's because she just wanted to capitalize on her side hustle as a teenage runaway turned prostitute. Those are my words, not his. Mm -hmm. Um, Because remember, everyone, she'd just done the classic Dawn, Portrait of a Teenage Runaway. God, that's a good movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We mentioned that in another one of our episodes on the TV made for movies. TV movies. Yes, yeah. gosh. Mm-hmm. This back catalog is serving us well. I know. Um, that movie, if you remember, received glowing reviews and really high ratings. So word is she wanted to keep that side gig going. I'm only going to do it for a week or two and then I'll quit, I swear. 
So how to fill that empty square in the Brady grid, right? Yeah. Just don't. Don't don't casting. Well, no, they did. (laughs) A casting call went out in late October 1976, and over 1,500 girls came out of the woodworks from all across the United States to be the new but fake Jan Brady. (laughs) But as we all know, it was 16-year-old Jerry Reichel, a veteran of over 40 TV commercials, a few feature films, and appearances on TV shows like Gunsmoke and, you guys, hold your britches, oh, Apple's Way. <gasps> no, I knew oh. you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. I don't mm-hmm. know why. Mm, Who okay. filled Jan's awkward shoes? Ironically, Jerry had more experience in show business than all the other Brady kids combined. If you watch the <laughs> wow. Brady Bunch Variety Hour, her performance has begged to differ <laughs> this, but I guess we'll take that for what it's worth. Mother, how could you? No, my sister Jan doesn't want anyone to know we even have a bathroom. No, actually, in our old house, we didn't. <laughs> okay, we need to take a few minutes to talk how over-the-top this show was. The premise was a little bit different than other variety shows and was modeled after the show-within-a-show concept. So instead of appearing as themselves, Robert, Florence, Barry, Maureen, etc., they'd appear as their Brady characters. And the story is that the Bradys have moved to a new house and are putting on a variety show. Other than Jan, the OG bunch gets back together. Even a reluctant, very reluctant, Aunt, well, besides Christopher Knight, but Ann B. Davis. But there's an addition. And this time it's not Cousin Oliver. It's Rip Taylor, naturally. Oh, no, don't. No, no. <laughs> Rip Taylor plays next door neighbor Jack Merrill, who frequently finds his way oh, into God. the act and is a love interest for Alice. No, what stop it. To Sam? Sam the Butcher is never mentioned again. Wah, Didn't wah. people feel like she'd be cheating on Sam? These are well, bad I mean, choices. there's Listen, Kristen, yes, there yeah. is a lot of holes and leaps we just have to take <laughs> yeah. with the Brady mm-hmm. Bunch hour. So that's just going to be one of a very minor one. Uh, Each episode features the obligatory variety show song and dance numbers. Usually there were 15 or more. In one show? But it's an hour, don't forget. And sketches as well as a show within a show behind the scenes story, I'm using air quotes here, Mm -hmm. which takes place in the Brady's new home. And all good variety shows have an opening showstopper. The Croft Brothers gave Donnie and Marie an ice rink and the Ice Angels. So naturally, they gave the Brady's a swimming pool (laughs) and the Croftettes. A dance uh, troupe. <laughs> a, like, kid you not, they're called the Croftettes. At the opening, they're like, and we also have the Croftettes. A dance troupe who'd open the show with Vegas-style high kicks and then do water ballet in the pool, like Esther Williams style. Yeah. You guys, there are so many fun facts about the Croftettes and the problems <laughs> the swimming pool caused just in Wikipedia but for time, I'm going to just share my one favorite and perhaps the most troubling and put the rest in this week's weekly reader. So here we go. Unlike traditional synchronized swimming, the Croftettes were expected to sit on the bottom of the pool <gasps> in various formations. What? In order to accomplish this, the women had to completely exhale all of their breath so that they would sink in a state of hypoxia. What? Hypoxia. A condition in which the body or a region of the body is deprived of adequate oxygen supply at the tissue level. The ABC network would not allow the use of goggles. This is my favorite line. Oh, my God. And any unsightly air bubble escaping from a desperate nostril was absolutely forbidden. (laughs) What? People can't see me right now, but I'm holding – I'm just going to describe myself. I'm holding my head in my hands, and I'm shaking my head. This is nutty. 
an unsightly air bubble escaping from a desperate, okay. a desperate is there nostril. A statute By- of limitations on like suing your for abuse. Employer? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Understand desperate nostril means like just trying to remain <laughs> alive. Trying yeah. I got to get oxygen die. going to your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm dying now and I need some oxygen. And to top it off, because the Croftettes had double duty as dancers <clears throat> on stage with the Bradys during the day, swimming sequences were often relegated to late night hours. This required the women to work more than 15 consecutive hours on days they were filming. Oh my God. And apparently risk death by oxygen deprivation. Wait, where's the class action suit? This is wrong. Yeah, this, this is, is wrong. This is really bad. And what do they know anything about liability? Yeah. Like insurance. How was it that nobody had that they didn't have to call the paramedics at least one time? That is well, just luck. And- this is the most, when I said I wanted to share this one because it's the most troubling, ladies, check your <laughs> weekly readers this week because oh you're going to also um, read a fact about all the props that were bolted to the bottom of the pool that they had to swim around while they're trying to do synchronized swimming. So ladies and listeners, I took not one, but two for the team yesterday and watched episodes one and two. Ouch. Mm-hmm. There are no words, but I'm going to give you a few. Episode one's plot, and I'm using air quotes again Mm -hmm. here very accurately, people. Episode one's plot, the Brady kids fear their father is not talented enough to appear on their (gasps) variety show, so Bobby (laughs) schemes to replace him with Tony Randall. Oh! (laughs) Random! (laughs) Ironically, ironically, Robert Reed's, or Mike's, acting is atrocious, I want you all to listen to this whole sound bite. Hi, I'm Mike. Brady. <laughs> Brady. Yeah. I'm Mike Brady. I'm the husband and the father and uh, that sort of thing. Look, what I really am is an architect. And my family wanted this variety show. You know, it was their idea. I, I didn't want to do it. But, uh, well... I love my family. You guys, I wish I had time to get into costumes and choreography today, but I don't. But for sure, we will have an episode devoted to this delightfully fun train wreck in an upcoming season. Let me just leave you here with a few more episode plots, because just the names of these guest stars is the 70th thing you're going to hear all week, maybe except for Lassie and um, And Jim Jim Neighbors. When his family criticizes his singing and dancing talents, Mike decides to prove he can carry a tune. But when he teams up with Charo for rehearsal, (laughs) Carol becomes jealous. (laughs) And perhaps my very favorite, Rich Little develops amnesia and believes he is one of the Brady children. Uh, Devastatingly... The Brady Bunch Hour went off the air after just six months and nine episodes due to sporadic scheduling because consistency would have made it a hit, I'm sure. I'm sure that's Mm -hmm. what was. And TV Guide listed the series as number four in a 2002 compilation of the 50 worst television series in American history. Oh, my God. Clearly, they mean the best worst. (laughs) Susan Olsen rationalizes the disaster of it like this. To see this family engaging in the most commercial and soulless art forms is unsettling. It is difficult to see Mike Brady dancing in a Carmen Miranda dress without feeling some level of an urge to spoon one's eyes out. Time to break out my handy-dandy Band-Aid that covers all our crimes against art. It was the 70s. That's honestly the best excuse we have. (laughs) 
I want you all to know I got much of my information from this truly fabulous book called Love to Love You, Brady's, The Bizarre Story of the Brady Bunch Variety Hour that was gifted to us by a great PCPS listener and supporter. And lucky you, because you can still find it on Amazon and many online used bookstores for less than $20. And we'll definitely add links in this week's weekly reader email newsletter. Shows like this often in current times get what's like a cult following because mm-hmm. they were so bad yeah. mm-hmm. that now they're just fabulous. And this is definitely one of them that has kind of achieved that cult following status. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of here for it. Baby face, you've got the cutest little baby face. There's not another one could take your place. Baby face, my poor heart is jumping you. So what you might notice, you three women and all the people listening, is that we don't have variety shows anymore. They're gone. In a big way, gone. And there's a great podcast episode on variety shows by our friend Amy Lively on the For the Record, the 70s podcast. And she says that Donnie and Marie was really the last gasp of successful variety shows, and it will likely never happen again. Donnie and Marie ended in 1979, and that show reflected everything that we loved about Mm -hmm. variety shows, the musical performances, the silliness, the innocence. But 1980 was looming, and the world was changing, Mm -hmm. and it was more than people's waning interest in Donnie and Marie or Donnie Osmond's marriage to Debbie that led to the cancellation of the show. It wasn't those two things. It was more. It was the world. In fact, she says she views the true end of the variety show era as the Bee Gees concert special that documented their spirits having flown tour, and it aired on November 21st, 1979. It was not a variety show per se, but we were tuning in for the same reason, to see our favorite stars perform. And this was the last example of that kind of TV before the dawn of, wait for it, MTV. Mm -hmm. So she sees the airing of this special as the bridge between the variety shows of the 1970s and MTV. So the Buggles told us that video killed the radio star, but it also killed the variety show. Why? Because MTV removed some of that need to see musical performances on TV. We had a steady diet of everybody, huge stars, up-and-coming stars, 24 hours a day in massive quantities. Why would I tune into a TV show that might have one person once a week who might interest me? So a few people have tried to remake the format recently, and it just doesn't translate. Michael Buble has one. Casey Musgraves has one. Maya Rudolph and Martin Short did one for a very short period of time. Neil Patrick Harris tried it. They can't find an audience. (sighs) But also, in addition to MTV, there's one big reason that this isn't catching on anymore. Someone asked Donny Osmond recently if there's any modern-day person who could recreate the joy of the variety show today, someone who could pick up where Donny and Marie left off. And he was incredulous. He was like, no, not possible. He said it will never happen again. And his reasoning is sound. He said, people back then were looking for simplicity and innocence. They wanted something that they could watch with the whole family. And today's audience wants reality TV with shock value. That's true. And I can't think of a single show that is attractive to mom and dad and their teenagers and the little brother and the sister and the grandma. And he's right. Unless you can get the Real Housewives to do a variety show, I don't think people will care. I think he's right. And it's really sad. I'm a tear. I know. Where else are you going to see Jim Neighbors and Lassie? Right. 
So yes, these variety shows from the 70s may have been cheesy and cornball, but hidden underneath was something more. They gave us access to our favorite stars and our beloved heroes. They brought us our favorite songs from the radio. And those cheesy cornball comedy sketches provided constant commentary on what was going on around us. According to Amy Lively, again, all of these shows, from Ed Sullivan and the Smothers Brothers to Glenn Campbell and Donnie Marie, they were all a time capsule into what was happening in politics, fashion, music, sports, TV, and film. It's like they are a dissertation on the culture of the times, not just what we were entertained by, but what we were wearing, what we were watching, what we were listening Mm -hmm. to, and what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Shows like Sonny and Cher, Carol Burnett, and even the Brady Bunch Variety Hour were the finale of the golden era of regularly scheduled music and sketch comedy programming on network TV. And that makes them historical treasures deserving of our time and attention and our love and affection. Thank you so much for listening today, and we will see you next time. I'm so glad we had this time together Just to have a laugh or sing a song Seems we just get started And before you know it Comes the time we have to sing Today's episode was brought to you by Carol, Harvey, Tim, Vicki, Sonny, Cher, Greg, Marsha. (laughs) 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 But really, today's episode was made possible by these fine folks who support us on Patreon. Diane, Sherry, Mike, Christina, Tracy, Stella, JS, Jennifer, Erica, Lisa, and Natalie. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast courtesy of the cast of Three's Company. Two good times. Two happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. 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 The information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there is always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you.